Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I've got a question about a roof. Is it possible for just part of the roof to be peeled off and re-shingled only about a 10-foot section and blended in with the other roof rather than having to do the whole roof again? I have a need for an electrical heater for our basement room, and it's only used several times a year. Could you discuss uh, electrical space heaters? My husband and I are hanging a lighting fixture, and we're trying to take the old fixture down. I was wondering if it's safe to cut the wires with scissors on the electrical Electricity is turned off completely to the room that we're working on. Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Ritt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Ken is here every weekend at this time to take questions about your home inside or out. If you'd like to join us, you can at 800-614-2975. You can reach Ken anytime at 800-614-2975 or email him questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Unfortunately, there are many people around the nation dealing with insurance claims right now, and hopefully the good news is you have an insurance company to deal with. I know there are many of you out there that are uninsured or underinsured. But for those of you that carry insurance, I have to ask you first, and maybe you're asking yourself this, am I really getting what I'm paying for? Yes, I said that. Are you really getting what you're paying for? And when you call on outside help, uh, are you really getting the insurance people to step in and do what they need to be doing? And are you treated according to the terms of your policy? Now, I want to say this. I'm going to go over a few items in just a moment here. But first off, we need to understand that insurance companies, not unlike our doctor, the grocery store, the car dealer, anybody we deal with, they're a business, folks. And they are in business to make money. They must satisfy not only their investors, their stockholders, but they also have to have enough money to pay out claims. And historically, we've seen instances, for example, the the huge tornadoes that rolled through the Midwest here uh, this past year or so. We've seen times where insurance companies have defaulted. They have not had sufficient money to pay out the claims. So I want to talk a little bit about some balance between you as the homeowner, your insurance policy, what you can do, what you should do, what you should be looking for, and the insurance company, as many of you are in the process of handling claims both small and large. First, I want to go to a report released not too far back by Consumer Reports. And, of course, they they go on and make comments uh, that we all understand, that homeowners buy insurance to protect us against disasters. Now, I think we need to understand that very clearly, that most of our insurance purchases are for just that reason. They are for catastrophic losses. They are losses that we cannot sustain or, or handle out of our own pocket. That's why we buy insurance. But when disaster strikes, in many cases, they've determined that the insurance company might not be living up to your expectations, especially if you have a large claim. Now, according to Consumer Reports survey of 11,250 of their own subscribers, who filed claims in the last two years, the greater the damages, the greater the likelihood that homeowners paid, home insurers rather, paid less than expected. Yes, I said they paid less than expected. Overall, almost 10% of respondents reported disagreements with their insurance companies over the amount of a claim that was paid. But when the damage was $25,000 or more, that jumped to 19% that disagreed with the insurer's assessment of what was due based on the damage that occurred. Now, there was more than three times that the disagreement rate for claims when they were less than $2,500. So there's a big discrepancy here. But what I want folks to understand is that we both have responsibilities in insurance claims. Both the insurance company, they have a responsibility both legally 
ethically, morally, if you want to take it to that standard, based on what the policy says. But we as homeowners, we as consumers also need to understand what we have purchased. And it's very emotional. I think almost all of us can say at some point we've dealt with an insurance claim, whether it's our home, our automobile, health, it doesn't matter. We have dealt with insurance claims. And we become so close to the issue that it's very personal for us, and it's difficult sometimes for us to separate fact from fiction. And Consumer Reports goes on in their documentation to note that most people they surveyed are happy with their insurance companies and overall the adjustments that were made for them. And they reference several of the top insurance companies around the country. But where we want to go with this is put this into perspective with many of the claims that are taking place today as a result of hurricanes, of snowstorms, of ice damage, tornadoes, uh, problems we have throughout this country, not just this time of year, but throughout the year. First thing you need to do constantly is be sure that when you renew your insurance, that you read the renewed policy. Sometimes the terms and conditions change. Many of us have had policies in play now for 10, 15, 20 years. All we remember, perhaps, is what was in that policy when we originally bought it. And it had a huge amount of coverage, a lot of things that it would take care of. But today, folks, that might not be true 20 years after the fact. Insurance rates continue to escalate, and that's because of the losses. That's because of what the insurance companies are paying out to help those of us that they cover. And as those prices increase, we are looking for ways to cut our cost. And as we cut our cost, we're saying, I can raise the deductible. I don't really have to worry about flood insurance because there's never been a flood in 50 years in the area that I'm in, even though I'm in a floodplain. I don't have to be concerned about high winds because, goodness, the last time a hurricane hit this area was in 1941. So we can go on and on and we can rationalize reasons that we do not want to keep certain coverage. We also will find, if we read the policies, that insurance companies gradually drop certain coverages that we may have had 5, 10, 15 years ago, even though our rates escalate. This is something that both sides need to stay in touch with. You and your insurance agent need to be talking about what your needs are. If you happen to have a basement, for example, that takes a sump pump to remove the water, in the event of heavy rains in your area and keep your basement from flooding, did you know that in many cases there's a separate rider that your insurance company needs to add to your policy to cover that so that if the sump pump fails and your basement floods from rising water coming up out of the ground, you have coverage. But most of us probably think, no, I've got homeowner's insurance. If my basement floods because the power's out or my sump pump doesn't work, you know what? I'm covered. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, right now that are discovering that is not true. That's why from time to time I talk about insurance and I talk about riders and the various things you need to keep on the top of your mind. One of the other things that we fail to do, I think, are read the certificates that come to us from insurance companies occasionally when we do have just an automatic renewal. We get a bill in the mail. It's time to renew that homeowner's insurance. It's an extension or another year from what we had last year. But there's usually a little piece of paper that comes in. It may say certain things have uh, been increased, certain things have been decreased, they're no longer writing insurance for certain items. And what do we do with those? If we don't throw them away, we stick them in the drawer with our insurance papers. We don't pay any attention to what it says until we have a claim two or three years later, and all of a sudden they're saying, it's not covered, folks. Look at your policy. So in all fairness, I have worked for both sides as an adjuster. I have worked for insurance companies, and I have worked for consumers. I have worked on some very large commercial claims. And I will tell you, there's a lot of negotiating to take place. But in my experience, people just need to sit down, explore what the policy says. Most insurance companies I have dealt with want to do what's right. They want to honor that policy to the letter of the policy, but they're not going beyond the policy. 
And as consumers, we need to understand what we have purchased. And when it comes time to file a claim, if you're not happy with your insurance adjuster, then I'm going to suggest to you, as the insurance companies do occasionally, that you hire your own adjuster and you do some negotiating because they're accustomed to that. And you're literally going to have to take one policy and compare it to the other because sometimes it's very subtle changes that can make a dramatic difference in what's covered. It can be changing of a couple of words. It can go from an and to an or, and it leaves them with an option. So you need to be very careful about it just as they are. But by all means, if you feel like you've got an issue, get your own adjuster to work on your team, and you'll find there's room for some negotiation, especially if they've got an adjuster handling hundreds of claims that can't see this right now. Coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor, we're going to deal with Green Building, and also our app of the week deals with how-to videos. Don't forget, if you'd like to be part of the program, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email questions to the website, kenthecontractor.com. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here answering questions about your home inside and out at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Joining us right now is Bill. Bill, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yeah. Um, hi. Hi, Ken. Hi, Bill. Uh, yeah, i got a sticky problem. Um, uh, <laughs> I hate to kind of admit that... Uh, I've got some siding damage. It's it's not from the storm or anything. It's from some guy with went wild with a weed trimmer and cut through it. <laughs> well, at uh, least it wasn't a power washer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, you know, that stuff fades, and I can't find. It's a non-standard color, and so I can't find. I got to order, you know, a whole two squares of it. I guess that's a hundred square feet or whatever, and. Uh, then I've got something that doesn't quite match, and if I go around to the other side of the building, it really doesn't match because, you know, the sun's not doesn't hit the other side of the building. Uh, it, uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, if if I go to something like a, a polymer-modified stucco, you know, like a drive-it or a stow, I could... Uh, if I if I do something like a cement board, then I can't really blind nail that for top... Uh, course, you know, that butts up against the uh, vinyl. Um, is, what, is what are this different the, materials it, that that this would be good for? I mean, if you can't really match something like that, or is or is there a place? I heard that you could find scraps of siding at something like Habitat for Humanity. A guy told me at Lowe's, but uh, I went there and they didn't have anything. Yeah, it, it's going to be a shot in the dark to find leftover materials at places like that because they do have them, but to get the exact color and texture and size that you need, it's going to be very difficult. Is this the starter siding panel, the one that uh, is closest to grade? It's down, yeah, well, it's not just, it's a, cu- it's a couple, uh, one or two, uh, I'd have to go and look. Uh, it, it's a double four. And so I know it's at least that first course that's been damaged. I think maybe might be a little bit of damage going up. All right. Now, is more. is this severe? Are these just holes that are in it, or has the panel been damaged beyond reuse? I'm asking you these questions for a reason. I'll tell you in a moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it, uh, well, that's kind of a matter. There, there's the guy kind of – there's some little strips about six inches long that – I mean, I guess if it was reinforced from behind or something, it, it would probably be okay. I'd rather do that than replace it with something that doesn't match. But see, 
uh, if I replace it, I've got to, I have all this extra siding that I don't need. Right now, so let's deal with the with what you just brought up, and that's where I'm going with this. I would look at having the panels repaired. They may have to be, as you said, reinforced from the backside. Some manufacturers, not all, but some manufacturers will make a vinyl repair kit. You can infill that. And it now it's going to show up kind of like taking touch-up paint to your car. You got a scratch, you know it may blitz. It doesn't matter because dirt, there's dirt dirt okay. covers that first course anyway. But I would be looking for that. You may even go online. I haven't done this in a long time, but you may even go online and find uh, sources where you can order by mail through the internet uh, vinyl repair kits mm-hmm. that will be fairly close to that color. But if it's crinkled, you know, if it's bent and, and really gouged and torn, that's not going to work. That's why I was trying to understand your issue. It's more about some straight cuts or lines that yeah. are in there that could be patched. Yeah, it's. It, I think it could be patched. But I, I did go online. I went to – there was a YouTube thing about how to how to repair vinyl. And they all they did was go cut some out somewhere else and and patch it, okay. but I don't have any extra somewhere else to patch it. Well, I was just going to ask, do you have even a few small pieces left over from the original install? No. Okay. No. Then, then one other item you can look at, and that will be to find a piece. It can be an off-brand. It doesn't matter what brand it is, the color, the texture, rather, but find a color that is similar to the color that you have. Right. And you're going to have to pull the panels off from the bottom. Yeah. You will cut these as patches, much like you'd put a patch inside an, uh, a tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And patch it from the back side uh, with an adhesive that'll bond that together, and then you can come back with a clear silicone over the surface. Assuming these are not huge gouges, and I'm assuming that from what you described, it's somebody with a weed whacker that's cut a a, a three sixteenths or so, a smaller gouge in that. Yeah, three sixteenths about. And, and this is probably what I would do. I, I would not want to have a completely different color all around the outside of my house, especially <laughs> if it's not severe. I would be patching it in this fashion if it is a last resort. Uh, to put the material behind it, that's the backer, get it adhered well so it's watertight, and then come across the surface with a clear silicone because now it's going to start blending your color from the surface together. That'd be my approach. Bill, thank you. Good luck with the project. It is uh, Sue who joins us right now. Sue, hi, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling about air filters that are used, you know, as part of your heating and cooling system. I tend to buy the more expensive ones that supposedly last for three months, and I date it and put it in. And um, when we recently had our air conditioning unit checked, they made a comment like, oh, I'm sure you'll be changing those soon, when in fact they had been in, you know, a month and a week or something. And according to the manufacturer's directions, they should last for three months, and I still had close to two months to go. So... Do we have a really dirty house and they're getting dirty faster, or are they really not worth spending the extra money for, or what should we do? No, actually, when we spend a little more money for air filters, we if you compare them side by side, you'll find that they're uh, either a different type of material, the, the fibers in them are closer together, they've right. got to allow air to pass through them, but they're going to collect more dust and dirt that's in the air, more hair, pet dander, all of those things. So right. the, the, the fairly inexpensive, those that are, are quick throwaway that we pay a dollar a piece for, they've got large right. openings in them. They do not collect as much from the air. So I think what you're seeing is the fact that you have a more efficient unit. It's actually filtering out more items in the air than the cheaper ones will. They get dirty quicker. They get clogged up quicker. 
And what that tells me is it may be the time of year because of the summer. You've got more people coming and going through the doors. Maybe windows have been open occasionally, even if there's more activity in our homes. And I've noticed this when my kids are home or relatives are there. There's just dust and fibers that are in your upholstery. And as you sit on those, as you've got more beds being changed and used, all of those things stir up more items, more particles in the air, and the filters will become dirty quicker. But the filters that you're talking about, just the fact that they are a better filter, they're going to collect more than the very inexpensive ones do. I don't think you have an issue. The filter, they may put a time frame on them, but they're going to collect what's in the air. So so don't worry about the time. When they're dirty, just go ahead and get rid of them. That's right. There may be but other times, let's say the winter or you're gone for several weeks, you may come back and say, hey, we've been able to get four months out of these because they still look great. Right. Okay. That answers my question. Whatever, Thank you so much. Whatever you do, don't let them get so dirty air can't move through them because your unit right. becomes very inefficient. Yeah, we don't want that. No, you don't. <laughs> we want to stay cool. You, you want to stay cool and you want to be energy efficient. That's right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for the call. Bye. Appreciate your call. Don't forget, if you'd like to join us, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. And don't forget about our website, KenTheContractor.com. A lot of very useful home improvement information and information about repairs and projects on the web at KenTheContractor.com. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. We'll take a quick break and come right back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels to make your life better, provide options, and to save money. Joining us next is Doug. Doug is with eShield of Virginia. This is an attic energy barrier. Many of you have contacted me through the website and on this show to ask about this new product that you're seeing out there. But in fact, many of these products have been out there for a long period of time. But eShield of Virginia happens to be one that we want to talk a little bit about that can help save you many dollars on your home operating cost from month to month. Doug, thanks for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. I want you to tell all of us a little bit about eShield. First, what it is and the benefits of the product, and then we're going to talk a little more in detail about it. Great. eShield is an attic energy barrier. It is a multi-layer thermal barrier reflective technology. comes to us from NASA. It is um, akin to the spacesuit, able to keep radiant heat out, keep body temperature in at the same time, we simply do the same thing for a home. In the summer, keep the radiant heat out of the house, keep the uh, winter heat in the house, making you save money. Okay, now where does this e-shield go? Because most of our audience understands insulation, but I think this is unique and different to them. E-shield is typically installed on the bottoms of the rafters, creating a, a, a canopy inside the attic of the house. Um, on occasion, we can install it as a blanket directly upon the ceiling joists. All right, but the best performance of the product, from what I've read and, and my knowledge of it, is installing it on the bottom side of the top cord of your trusses. It'll go on the bottom side of that. This is not applied tight to the plywood or to the sheathing that the shingles are attached to, 
but the bottom side of that top cord, correct? That's correct. Now, by installing it there, you're still leaving a cavity. If you have a 2x4, 2x6, 2x8, could be a 2x12 if it's stick-framed attic trusses, but you're leaving a cavity. Is this a problem between the bottom side of the plywood and this E-shield? No, no, it's what I intend to do. We've got to keep the sheathing ventilated. We install it starting about six inches above the soffit and stop somewhere around a foot from the peak of the attic, allowing a place for air to enter and a place for air to exit at the top. All right, so you're still allowing air circulation. You're not creating a substantial heat buildup on the backside of the shingles. Does this have a negative impact on the shingles as far as shingle manufacturers are concerned? No, not at all. National Asphalt Roofers Association has endorsed this idea. The temperature increase on the shingles is somewhere around 3 to 5 degrees, well within their tolerance levels. Okay, now with, with eShield, what can we anticipate in terms of a change in our attic space, temperature-wise? Company advertises somewhere around 40-degree change in temperature in your attic. We've seen much more dramatic on occasion. It grows relative to what's the outside ambient temperature of the day. All right, so the intent in talking with you earlier about this product is that the temperature in that attic is generally pretty close to the outside temperature. If it's 90 degrees outside, that attic may be 90 as opposed to 120, 130 degrees. Yes, it might even be 80 or 85 in your attic. Now, for those of you that are putting these pieces together and you're saying, all right, this insulation is on the bottom side of the top cord of my roof truss, what does that do for me as far as my energy efficiency in my home goes? Tell us a little bit about where the real payback comes in in answering that question. Yeah, that's great, because that's really what everybody's concerned about. We offer a 25% written guarantee on savings of uh, whatever your energy costs are, summer and winter. Real-life experiences from our customers runs 30 to 40% savings and sometimes much higher. Wow, that is substantial. So if I've got a $300 light bill in the wintertime because I'm on electric heat, you're telling me I could reduce that by as much as $100 that month? Well, it might be 75 as a guarantee, but possibly way more than that. Any other benefits that people should be thinking about when it comes to looking at this particular product over so many others, just saying I want to add additional insulation in my attic space? What would the argument be to add eShield? into the attic to the rafters versus coming back and adding another 6 inches, 12 inches of the blown-in insulation, things that I might be able to do myself, which is the way a lot of us do things around the house. Adding insulation is always a good idea. Uh, it helps with the convection. Outside hot, inside you want to keep cool, or in the winter, outside cold, you want to keep the inside warm. Our product helps with an entirely different cycle, and that's the radiant impact. What makes your attic so hot in the first place? We're going to keep that heat out of your attic, out of your house. We're going to make the insulation in your attic stay cooler in the summer, which means your house stays cooler. We're going to make the insulation stay warmer in the winter, which makes your house stay warmer. And there, there's an added benefit we haven't talked about, and that's simply the fact we make your house more comfortable, particularly a two-story house where the upstairs is sometimes unbearable on those hot summer winter uh, summer nights. We're able to equalize the upstairs and the downstairs. Those people who are fighting a single-zone heating system and are struggling, is the upstairs going to be cool enough for us? The, house, the downstairs suddenly becomes like a freezer. We're able to take care of that. The house equalizes, making it much more comfortable.
that is a common question we have, and that's a problem that folks have, ending up with one zone, but essentially two areas that should be double zoned. And it's cold downstairs, it's hot upstairs, it's the reverse in the other season. So this can help eliminate that problem without the cost of adding another heating and cooling system. That's correct. And it's uh, uh, for cents on the dollar what it would cost to add a heating system. Doug, we appreciate you being with us today and filling us in. A pleasure to be with you. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken, the contractor. And while we're talking about heating and stuff like that, Ken, you've got a question here from Betty that talks about introducing a humidifier into indoor air quality. Yeah, and we want to be cautious about that. Betty says we've installed skylights, and we're, we're looking to – apparently, I'm going to paraphrase her email, but she's looking to get into indoor house plants, the live plants. And so many of us are – uh, raising those, and we understand they're good for the environment. They can help us on the inside. So she said, but we've introduced the skylights. Now we're going to add a humidifier for just that room. Will the higher humidity cause problems over time? Betty, I'm glad you asked because, frankly, I would say you have the potential of that being a problem, especially in your, your summer months. Your air conditioning system, if you have one, and I'm guessing that you do, is designed not only to cool but to pull moisture out of the air. Now, what I'm going to suggest, just like so many of the well-known gardeners like I Andre Viet and others, that you take these plants from the outdoor, you let them acclimate to the inside. You do this gradually before you just move them in from outdoor sunlight and normal humidity and temperature to the interior. But once they're acclimated, you'll find that the majority of these plants will live well without you adding additional moisture to the inside. I want you to be cautious about that because I think you'll find you're going to have some mold and mildew develop in some areas. You may find some streaking where water runs down the paint. You just don't want to have that kind of problem. The skylights certainly are great because so many of our indoor plants, ficus trees and others require sunlight. So it's good that you've done that, but I just would be hesitant in terms of you adding additional moisture. It can cause rust on hardware and other things within the home, as well as I said, the peeling paint, mold and mildew. So stay away from adding more moisture than what's normal within your house. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can email your questions to our website. That is KenTheContractor.com. And also, don't forget uh, that you can follow Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And our website has a lot of valuable information for you, including Ken's toolbox that deals with some of the most most often discussed questions on this program from windows to plumbing, siding, flooring, ventilation, leaks, masonry, heating, all at one spot on the web. That's at our website, KenTheContractor.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. If you've got a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, you can reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or send us emails to KenTheContractor.com. And we've got another one. Uh, deals with more water in unwanted places. And this comes to us from Tamra in Philadelphia. Ken, she says she's got water coming in the windows, all courtesy of our old buddy, was it Sandy? Because she starts out saying Sandy was devastating to this area in in many ways. My husband and I feel we were very lucky, however. We only had water damage from blowing rain. And the good news, she says, our roof held up great. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. She said, the problem is our old windows. She said, water came in around the windows where the top and bottom overlap, so I'm assuming she's describing the upper and lower sashes, and at the track where you raised them. So, again, I'm assuming this is the side jams that you're describing here to me, Tamara. Said we have some some drywall repairs and some painting to do, but that's it. We were just so fortunate. Can you tell me how to resolve the water issue around my windows to prevent this in the future? 
Well, first, you've given me a few clues here to work with, uh, Tamara. And one, it sounds like you're in an older home. You have old windows. You refer to that in here. And if they're wood sash windows, they certainly don't seal very well. They were before the days when we paid much attention to air and water infiltration. And during a hurricane, or not just a hurricane, it can be seasonal storms where we have high winds. Many times rain comes out our homes almost horizontally. And windows are not designed to be underwater. They are designed to repel and designed to seal off and close. So when you have this horizontal and, and strong wind-driven rain, it's going to constantly work against these. And no doubt that's what you're seeing here. And so I'm going to suggest to you a few alternatives one, there are some very simple weather stripping materials that are made for older style windows. Some mount to the outside. They'll actually overlap the sashes. They'll mount to the jam. And the sash is the, the piece that you actually raise up and down that has the glass in it. It's referred to as a sash. So there's some weather stripping materials that will adhere to or can be fastened to the wood jam on the exterior. And what it does is offer some added protection around that crack, that vertical joint between the sash and the jam. This would prevent blowing rains from driving that water in there and then coming out on the windowsill and then running down the wall on the inside. If you want to be more involved in that or you want to deal with it first, I should say from the interior, there are some inside components or some as simple as just a a foam membrane that are self-adhering. And they'll work for a while, and they do an okay job, but I don't suggest that for a long-term solution. I would recommend more the devices that mount on the outside. Also, if you are looking for something that's really a permanent solution, you may need to have some uh, actually have jam liners put in place. And this is where you would call a window company, one that does retrofit and service work, and let them put a jam liner over what you have, or go all the way and just consider replacement windows. That may not be in your budget or your offing, but these are three or four different options that you have, starting with the outsides and simple weather stripping devices that prevent blowing rain from coming in. Probably the easiest, one of the most inexpensive that you can do yourself, and it will serve your purposes. Also consider adding a weather stripping or an interlocking piece that would fasten to the upper sash and lower sash and then allow them to interlock when they are closed in the proper position. Acts a little bit like a U-channel, and this keeps the wind from coming in. It'll help you in the winter months. It also will prevent some of that rainwater from blowing up around that area. Very good. Don't forget, you can email your questions to Ken, and our website again is kenthecontractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of In the News, as Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. Occasionally I bring this up, but recently Consumer Reports released their own study on extended warranties. And I'll tell you, they're right there with me, or maybe since they're the big guys, I should say I'm right there with them. I talk about this often enough. That extended warranties, folks, really are rarely worth the cost. Now, there are a few exceptions that I discuss, and Consumer Reports has their own that says maybe there are a few you want to consider. But with the remodeling that we may be doing, with the new home building picking up, and certainly with all of the repair work that has to take place as a result of the devastating storms here recently, and holiday shopping around the corners, the hard sell continues. It's out there every day to buy these extended warranties and service plans on so many products, from cell phones to refrigerators, you name it, they're extended warranties. And these are a real moneymaker, people, for manufacturers that are out there. But they are almost never worth it, even in the, the words of consumer reports. Products don't usually break, they say, during the contract period. Again, they're talking about cell phones and some of the smaller appliances, according to a survey that the magazine or the consumer reports actually took. Even if they do, 
they have determined that it doesn't cost that much more to repair them than it does for the contract itself. Again, this according to Consumer Reports. The extended service plans can boost costs by 30% or more and can run into hundreds of dollars. And they go on to say that if you pay for the repair yourself, there's a better chance that it's going to be done correctly and quicker than if you had it repaired under contract. Again, I'm quoting Consumer Reports in this regard. So instead of a service plan, both they recommend, and I have told you this before as well, that you check the terms of your credit card. Almost everything all of us buy today is on a credit card. We use that for our purchase, not cash, not checks. Many credit card companies automatically extend the manufacturer's warranty, in some case, for up to a year. Some cases a little longer than that. Some cases they'll double the warranty. So check your credit cards and see if they will extend or double the warranties without you buying it when you buy from a particular supply house or manufacturer. Also, if you have something near or just past the warranty, I'm going to tell you I've done this as a builder as well, so I I certainly support consumer reports in this regard too. Call the manufacturer. Tell them, especially if you've had sort of a lump-along problem and it just broke 30 days after the warranty, explain the situation to them. Most of these manufacturers really want to be sure that they have a decent reputation with their product, and if it's that close and you can help them identify a service issue, they're likely to participate to some extent in repairing that. So the one possible exception that Consumer Reports, I have to say this, and I'm going to talk about an item real quick, is they claim if you have a laptop and you use it extensively and you travel a lot, they recommend you may want to buy that extended warranty. So since I'm quoting Consumer Reports, I wanted to get that in. But I do want to talk briefly about appliances, home appliances that I do from time to time. The majority of the appliances that we have in our household, the companies want to sell you an extended warranty on those. I'm going to tell you from experience, I've done this for a long, long time, that if a refrigerator, if a range, if a garbage disposal is going to break under normal use, you're not abusing it, you're not going outside the guidelines, it's going to break within the warranty period that you have it because that typically means something wasn't done right at the factory, it was damaged in shipment, perhaps it was a contractor issue. The point is these are going to surface pretty early on. It's not going to be three years down the road. So I don't recommend that on those type items you're buying extended warranties. With one exception, I'm going to be like Consumer Reports. If you're buying something top of the line, you just paid $7,000 for a refrigerator freezer that's full of electronics that tells you what's going on inside, how old the guacamole is, and how many beverages you've got, and when you need to buy, and they're there. Because of the electronics in this, you may want to think a little bit about that extended warranty. But the basic items we buy, not worth the money in my book. So uh, should I ask for the guacamole detector if you I want to that, buy a new fridge? You take out that checkbook, you add some zeros, and you can get one of those. But there are smart refrigerators today that will give you the age of everything in there, an inventory of what's in there, and will tell you based on your preset numbers when you need to be buying certain products. Well, you don't need it. It's kind of like if you buy an expensive car. Uh, sometimes you are better off getting the extended warranty. It's that old rule. If it costs you a lot to buy it, it's going to cost you a lot to fix it. You know, and typically if you can afford to buy the higher-end items, you probably can afford that warranty, but you can also afford the maintenance on it. So it's a toss-up. It's a call you have to make, but on most products, I don't find it worth the dollars. Don't recommend it to my buy, my consumers. That wraps up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.
you've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.